0: Thank you for joining us for our weekly Calvary Church podcast. During this sermon series, Raising Up a Voice, we are going to be investigating the idea of making disciples. I believe that God has set eternity in the hearts of all men, and we all want to make a difference that lasts even beyond our own lifetimes. In this series, we're going to investigate just how to do that. So listen carefully. For more information on this message or to listen to other teachings, visit us at InvernessCalvary.com. Connect with us for all the latest news on services, events, and more through our website or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening today and God bless you. Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter 2. I'm going to share a message with you in this series, continuing in the series, called Raising Up a Voice. And like I mentioned before, this is not a message about uh, a singing competition. It's not a message about yelling. Uh, It's actually a message about raising up Legitimate, earth-shaking voices for the kingdom of God. It's what God is doing in this hour. It's the same grace that came on John the Baptist when people said, "Who are you?" He said, "I'm a voice. I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord." He said, "I." He goes, "I knew it from the very beginning that I am a voice, and I believe that God, by His grace, is actually raising up." more legitimate voices in the earth right now in our day. People who come seemingly out of nowhere or in a place that is where there is way more trees than people. That Citrus County, in case you don't know. Only about 50% of our land is even able to be developed, which is glorious. That's why it makes it such a, a nature and eco-destination. Desti- eco, uh, it's wonderful but it it keeps us a little bit isolated as well. But I believe that God is doing something powerful among us and literally raising up voices. But we need to understand what our role is uh, in that process. You see, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul said this to the Corinthian church. He says, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you do not have many fathers... For in Christ Jesus, I've begotten you through the gospel. He's saying, listen, you'll have a lot of people who want to just teach you the principles that are from God's Word, and you'll probably get some good things. But there are very few people released that will take you from the moment of birth till you're launched in your calling. And I believe that's what God is raising up in this hour. People who will say, I will give my life to seeing someone changed by the grace and the power of God, and I will walk them through till they are launched into their calling. I believe that's what God is calling us to. You say, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, Matthew chapter 28, can, can we just trust in the words of Jesus? Uh, Jesus said and he after he, his resurrection, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and what? Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, listen, our calling is to actually make disciples. That doesn't say make converts, although conversions are awesome. We want to make disciples. And the, the, the scary part about this is that when churches like ours are polled, Only about three out of ten have shared their faith with someone in the last 12 months. Seventy percent of the church who sees the words of Jesus to go and make a disciple remains silent. Well, we we can ask some questions. Why? uh, Why that is? Why do we remain silent? And so, you know, the common answer is I have no idea what to say. Like, what do I say? You know, some of us are a little bit afraid about how people will receive us. You, you know, so, um, well, let me let me let me just deal with that the second one first. Um, you know, uh, don't further your reputation in life; further the reputation of Christ. And any time that you feel fenced in by the opinion of man, this is the one moment I dare you to kick one of those poles down get outside of those barriers that are sometimes self-imposed and say you know what i care more about what god thinks about me than what people think about me and then next tell your story what did jesus do for you can you tell that story you may not be a theologian you may you may not have a third of all of the scriptures memorized but you can tell your story What did Jesus do for you? Some of you are going, well, I'm I'm not sure Jesus has done anything for for me. Well, you're a great candidate to get born again. You say, I'm offended by that. Why? Because you resembled that remark. I know. We need to be all changed by Jesus. And when he changes us, we can tell that story. I used to be, and now I am. And whatever he did for me, he'll do for you. How easy is that? And then we say, By the way, are you sick? And we're like, Yeah, I got this little tennis elbow. Would you like God to heal it? Yeah. All right, that's why I'm here. You're like, Whoa, now you're stretching me. I know, because we're called to make disciples, we're called to be fathers. And fathers take responsibility for the generation that's coming behind them. And we as a church must take responsibility for the people who are in our community. It's what God is calling us to. But how do we do this? How do we make this transition? Because there's this little bit of a, a mentality that keeps us trapped. And that, it kind of comes off with a little bit as like false humility. False humility says, "You know, I'm, I'm just a servant. By the way, great to be a servant. But you know, you have a higher calling in Christ. You're called positionally to be a son. You're called to be a son or a daughter of God with the heart of a servant. You never get rid of a heart of a servant. Matter of fact, Paul calls himself a bond servant. That means somebody who serves because of love." They're not a slave because they have to be. They're a slave because they choose to be out of love and devotion to God. That heart never goes away. But we have to learn how to transition from this idea of just being a servant to being a son in God's house. Being a daughter in God's house. If we do, we'll learn how to take responsibility. Now, uh, so today what I'm going to do is I'm going to share a message with you called From Servant to Son. And we're going to look at the of and the the ministry and the time spent together from a spiritual father named Elijah and a spiritual son named Elisha. 2 Kings chapter 2 begins this way, verse 8. It says, Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water. And it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was, when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked. Then suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind in heaven, and Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took a hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, struck the water, and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the water, it was divided this way and that. And Elisha crossed over. This is a historic transition that takes place. But it's one of the most misunderstood stories in the Scriptures. And If we're going to walk as sons in the last days we must understand the path that God took Elisha down in order to walk in his calling. And we can understand this through examining the relationship between the spiritual father and the spiritual son. So the first thing that I want you to see today, and you can jot this down, is Elijah selected Elisha. Elijah selected Elisha. In 1 Kings chapter 19, after Elijah has had a dramatic encounter with the Lord on the mountain, he leaves the mountain and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him, threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said, to him, go, go back again, for, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took the yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen equipment and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Now, this time... In this relationship, this is the genesis of this relationship. Imagine, if you will, Elisha is just doing his thing. I mean, after all, he has the John Deere of plowing equipment. Twelve yoke of oxen. And he's with the twelve. I mean, he is making it happen. And if you have twelve yoke of oxen, that means your harvest is going to be large. He is getting it done. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of his life, uninvited, Elijah comes and throws his mantle over him. And in that moment, Elisha knew, I was made for more than this. I was made for more than this. You see, this moment is similar to our own salvation experience. This is like the salvation level of of our walk with God. You see, God chose you. I don't know if it was for you like it was for me, but did anybody recognize that God came looking for them when we weren't looking for Him? Or maybe you ended up in a crisis like me and you like, I don't know which way to look but up. And there God was right there to be found. You see, this describes the salvation level of our relationship with God. John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give you. Isn't that good? You say, well, Pastor Otis, I've read the Bible about, you know, many are called, but few are chosen. Yes, that's exactly true. The whole world is called. Do you know how you get chosen? Here I am, Lord, choose me. Here I am, Lord, choose me. And you know what the Lord does in that moment? I choose you. I choose you. I'm selecting you. You had your whole life going the way that you thought it should be going, and then God comes with a mantle of grace that comes through Christ, and He throws it over you. Do not ever fall into the trap of thinking that you somehow had a major role to play in all of this. You were just walking with your 12 oxen of sin, plowing in this world, looking for your own harvest. And then a father came and put the grace of his son on you. And that's when God selected you. Don't ever think you had much to do with it, although Ephesians 2 gives us a really good description of our condition when the father came with the grace of the son. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, with which he loved us, even when we were dead, In our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. I love this. Uh, um, If you hang around church very long, uh, there are people, kind of like we use terminology that sometimes gets really uh, kind of mixed up. We will call people who don't yet have a relationship with God, we call them lost. The best terminology for the condition before Christ is dead dead lost is actually describing three times uh, something that was once in possession and then becomes lost wanders away and then comes home biblically speaking a lost sheep that was in a fold left and it gets put back in the fold a coin that was in possession gets lost then gets put back in possession and then that wandering son that we talked about who was a son wandered And then found his way home again. I think lost describes the backslidden, in my opinion. And dead describes everybody outside. I remember I was dead. I was dead. And there's no, there's no, a dead person cannot help themselves. We we can't help ourselves. I, I kind of, kind of like the idea of being dead to the world. That way, when the world offers me something, I'm just dead. There's no response. But we were dead and we couldn't help ourselves. So a father came. Now, listen the payment of sin is applied. You receive grace, but our response to grace should be the same as Elisha's. I think we heard this last week. It needs to be all in. It needs to be all in. We need uh, uh, to get healed by God so we can go all in. Uh, can, I, can I just say it? You know, most of the time, uh, we have a very um, McJesus approach to salvation. Did you say McJesus? Scottish Jesus? No, no, no. Fast food Jesus. I used to do this skit called McJesus. People come into the spiritual drive through of the church, and they're like, uh, yes, I'll have the number one Jesus, but uh, if you could, hold the conviction Hold the conviction. And, uh, oh, extra large compromise on the side. Oh, please, no no holiness. No holiness. Oh, I can't. Uh, oh, I can't eat that holiness. And we kind of have that approach to God. You know, we come and we receive grace, but we're like, uh, can, I, can I bring these? 12 oxen they're worth a lot this cart I just got it It sounds like this God comes into my life Lord I just got this boyfriend I know he's not saved can I bring him I don't know what your situation is, but here's what I find. I find that most people's response to the grace that comes on our life is not like Elisha's. And here's what we need to do as the church. If we're going to live like sons, we need to look at the oxen and look at the cart. And we say, that thing, I'm going to set that thing on fire. And I'm going to take everything that was in my life and give it to God as an offering. And my salvation experience is going to feed everyone around me. Because that's what happened. Elisha throws a huge barbecue on his past. Everybody eats and is filled when Elisha is changed from dead to servant. Can I just ask this question? How many people in your life have feasted from the salvation that's come? It's what God is calling us to do. So in this process of becoming a servant, we need to first realize that God has selected us. In the second stage of this relationship, Elisha begins to serve Elijah. Let's walk through 2 Kings chapter, beginning in verse 1, 2 Kings chapter 2. It says this, and it came to pass when the Lord was about to take Elijah to heaven by whirlwind, that Elijah went to Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elisha said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, as long as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, "Uh, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, "As, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now, the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. For the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, as long as the Lord lives and your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. So they're on this major journey. Elijah is the voice to the nation. Elisha has had this mantle thrown over him. But now Elijah's back to wearing it again. So what is Elisha doing? What is Elisha doing in this time in their relationship? We actually don't find out until the next chapter after Elisha's promotion. And in 2 Kings chapter 3, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, is joined up with the king of Israel, and they're about to go to war with Moab. But before any righteous king would go to war, they would always connect with the prophets because they wanted to know, was it the will of the Lord to go to war? But notice what Elisha's reputation was, even up to this time, after he has already been mantled... It says, Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may be inquired of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. You want to know what Elisha, the one who God said to Elijah, is anointed to take your place? You want to know what he was doing? Washing the hands Of the prophet. Washing the hands of the prophet. We we don't have any indication that he was doing much else other than washing the hands of the prophet as they started together in this place called Gilgal. In this final journey, Gilgal, the name of that city, actually means this. It means rolled away. It's the place where God took the the, the children of Israel. They had come out of Egypt, and these children had been born in the desert. These are the ones who are now coming to the promised land, and they they need the mark of covenant again. They need the mark of circumcision. And it was in Gilgal where they received this covenant marking by God. So in this place called Gilgal, Elisha is washing the hands of Elijah and learning about covenant with God. What it means to be an intimate, deep, connected relationship with God, to be marked by God, to be different, to stand out. And he's just washing the hands of the prophet, pouring on water. And then he goes to a place called Bethel. And Bethel, this this place, the name of this place is called none other than the house of God. It's a place of encounter. It's a place where heaven was opened over that place. It's a, it, it, it is the place where man saw, it, Jacob looked up and said, look at this place. This is Bethel. This is this, the, the place where God's the, the house of God abides. So he's there in Bethel. Washing the hands of Elijah, learning about God's presence and all that God had done. And while he was learning, some opportunities came. You see, in these two cities, both Bethel and Jericho, there was something called the school of the prophets. There would be these prophets that run together who learn to hear the voice of God together, who would who would actually come together. And they wanted to be the mouthpiece of God in that region. And so here's what I believe. I believe that Elijah is simply coming to a close. In his time, and he's saying, listen, I want to, I uh, Elisha, you've been faithful. You've been washing my hands long enough. Take, take this little promotion here. Why don't you oversee these guys in Bethel? You can do that. And Elisha says, no, I'm not going to shortcut this process. He goes on to Jericho. Jericho, that, that, that actually means fragrance. And I thought, Lord, why is Jericho, why does that mean fragrance? Well, Jericho was the first city conquered in the promised land. And it was the only city where everything in it belonged to the Lord as an offering. And in the Old Testament, when you gave an offering, it went on an altar and there was a fragrance that went up before the Lord. And so here's Jericho in this place that is holy, dedicated, and consecrated to him. And what is Elisha doing? Washing the hands. He then goes back to the very beginning. It's as if they are backing their way up. As if Elisha is learning the history of who he is. Now they get to Jordan. Symbolic of sin. This place. Water baptism. The place where the children of Israel walked through on dry ground. Matter of fact, when the children of Israel walked through, they brought the ark into the center of the Jordan, and the Bible says that the waters stood up in a heap as far back as a city called Adam. It's because when the presence of God comes in through the grace of God, sin gets pushed all the way back to Adam. Man, I'm telling you, the Bible's awesome. You should read it. so he's washing the hands of Elijah. He is serving. He became his servant. Much of the time, listen church, it's in the mundane that positions you to walk in your mandate. It's the mundane. It's like, man, I'm still doing the same thing. But what are you learning while you're doing the mundane and waiting on God's mandate on your life? I know in our culture, we just think, man, I'm called, therefore I need a a stage, I need a microphone, sure enough, I don't know how, but CNN's going to show up and they're going to interview me. Why? Because I'm awesome. This is what we think. Instead of saying yes to the process, and just washing hands while we learn about the things of God. Pouring water on, he's learning about covenant. He's learning about God's presence. He's learning about how God steps in and pulls down walls. He's learning about how God pushes sin back, and all he's doing is washing hands. That's what it looks like on the outside, but on the inside, something is beginning to stir. I want you to notice the words of the prophets who came out of came out uh, out of each city. What they said? They said, "Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master?" from you today? And he said yes. He said yes, but be quiet. I always wonder why he was saying be quiet to a bunch of prophets. It's because there was something in Elisha that knew there was something more to this relationship than what had been revealed to them. He's washing his hands, and he's living in the mundane. And he's saying, "I know there's more, but I'm, I'm just going to I'm going to keep doing and being faithful with what God has put right in front of me." In Luke 16, Jesus uh, gives us this principle in the New Testament. In verse 10, it says, He who is faithful with what is least will also be faithful in much, and he who is unjust in what is, uh, uh, and what is least is also unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, that means wealth or riches, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Can I, can, can I just answer uh, some questions you've been wondering? Uh, what does it look like for me to be pouring water in this season on the hands of the Father? What's it look like? Here's what it looks like. First, you be faithful in small things. Luke 16. You be faithful in small things. What's your small things? In the way that you you parent. In the way that you love. Maybe it's in the way that you will treat your your, uh, waiter or waitress this afternoon. Maybe it's it's how you respond when you get cut off in traffic. Maybe it's the way that you behave when you thought you were getting in the fastest line at the grocery store, but you did not know that you had the niece of sloth. Whew. Wow. How are you going to respond? You say, Oh, is that a big deal? Yeah, it's a small thing. And you know what the scripture says? You know what the reward for being faithful in small things is? More. It's much. You say, God isn't interested in the details. Uh, Read the Bible. We need to be faithful. In the small things. You just pour the water on his hands. Whatever he's putting his hands to, you just pour some water on that. It's small things. How about the next one? Money. Second area, money. You said you had to go there, Pastor. You had me smile on this whole sermon until you brought that one up. I didn't. Jesus did. Luke 16, blame him. He said this, he said, if you'll be faithful with money, you know what the reward is? True riches. Not earthly riches, true riches. Do you know what true riches is? That's souls. That's the things that you can take to heaven. People. God says, if you can learn to be faithful with money, the Father will trust you with true riches. You say, well, I don't have enough money to be tested in that area. And be very careful here. because I don't want to offend anybody. But you never will. If you don't learn to tithe when you have ten dollars, You'll never tithe when, you're get, when you have a thousand. And God says, this is just the beginning. I'm trying to give you true riches. And if money won't control you, God will release things into the kingdom, into your life, like you would not believe. Some of us need to decide, money's not going to control me. I'm going to put God first in this area. I'm going to put him to the test. I'm going to return the tithe. It's going to be him. It's going to be him first. The reward, true riches. The last, the last area that we could pour hands on the Father, where God's putting his hand on someone else, on what belongs to another man. And you just pour the water of your life on what belongs to another man. You, You know what that's like? That's like working for somebody when you know it all along, you've got a business inside of you. And you've been thinking for a long time, man, I should start that business. You know what? But if you you are not faithful on the job that you are working now, it is not likely that you are going to have great success when you own your own business. Some of you are thinking, man, I'm trying to give the business. I'm in a way. I don't want another one. You know, I don't want. I don't want something else. But listen, God wants to change the way that we're thinking. Some of you in here are called to ministry. That's awesome. God has a call on your life for ministry. Where are you pouring water on what God already has His hand on? Where is that? I'm not asking that you would come and do that for me. I'm just asking that you need to go and get connected with somebody like Elisha did. And just pour water on what God already has His hands on. Go and help. Go and serve. What what does He say here? He He says, then you'll be given what is your own. You see, We're called in the kingdom to go through this process. And it's a humbling thing to say, God, right now I know that you're making me into something that I'm not, so I'm just going to keep pouring water on what you've got your hands on. And I'm going to be faithful in small things. I'm going to be faithful in money. I'm going to be faithful with what's another man's, and then I'll see the reward that you want me to have So Elijah selected Elisha and then Elisha served Elijah and this is how he became a son. Elisha saw Elijah. Verse 10, 2 Kings 2, he says, and he said, you have asked a hard thing. Now, I just want to take a moment out to say Elijah has just taken his mantle, his coat, if you will, struck a mighty river that still runs today it split in two. They walked across on dry land. And now Elijah has the audacity to say, What you have asked is a hard thing. I mean, this is the guy that was fed by ravens, meat, and bread. When he prays, it, it became a drought. When he prays on Mount Carmel, fire comes down from heaven. He prays again. Three and a half years later, the drought ends. He outruns the chariot 17 miles. He then travels some 200 miles in the strength of feeding on what God fed him on. And now he has the audacity to say something's hard. What is this about? See, this kind of thing will cause you to go a little bit deeper. And this is what he says. Nevertheless, if you see me, When I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened, as they continued on and talked, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind in heaven, and Elisha, notice those words, he saw it. And he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him No more. Let me let me let me just uh, put this into uh, words that that you can you can grasp today. What um, Elisha asked of Elijah was, "I want my DNA to change. I don't want to be the son of Shaphat anymore." I want to be the son of Elijah. And do you know what Elijah's response was? He said, yeah, that's hard. But if you see me when God shows up, that kind of miracle takes God. Then you'll have it. If you see me. You see faithfulness, Positioned Elisha for adoption. And this is the first time in the scripture that Elisha calls Elijah father. Remember what the prophets called him? Master. Elisha does not say, Master, my master, the chariots of Israel. He says, Father, my Father, the chariots have come. This is the the part where the double portion would fall to Elisha. Now this is the part that's been really messed up in the church for a long time because we're just really Western thinkers so we think double means twice as much. But everything... Even from Genesis, has been all about a family. And here we are with a spiritual father and a spiritual son. So, this is about family. And to a Jew, when a son asks for a double portion, he's saying, I want the firstborn son's portion. Remember a couple of weeks ago I shared on the wandering son and there was an older son and a younger son and the older son got a double portion and stayed and the younger son got a third of all and left and squandered it? The older son got a double portion of what belonged to the father. And what he was asking, he was saying, I want you to be my spiritual father. I want the blessing that's on you What would rightfully belong to a son? I, my prayer for Calvary is that I hope that we would begin to pray the same thing. You say, "Why would we pray the same thing?" Because this story reminds me of Luke chapter twenty-four, after Jesus had been raised from the dead, and he begins to speak to his his disciples. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 24. He says that he opened their minds and they could, they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what's written, written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed. from on high. So when he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. This story ought to sound exactly like 2nd Kings chapter 2. Only it was Elisha Asking Elijah. And here we have Jesus blessing 11 sons for the first time. He goes up into heaven, and then 10 days after this, on the day of Pentecost, which by the way is today. The mantle that rested on Jesus came down from heaven and fell on sons. And when it happened, what did they have to do? They had to be there, they had to be in the upper room. He said, Go in Jerusalem and stay there until you're clothed. That sounds a lot like a mantle endued with power from on high, some, uh, some of the Scriptures say. Acts 2, we see when this mantle of Christ comes on His sons, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled. All of them were filled. Let's say that again. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This wasn't one mantle placed on one man. This was the mantle of Jesus now coming on the many. All 120 received the mantle of Jesus. Why? Because for 10 days they were saying, send that promise. I don't want to just call you master. I want to call you Father. Jesus would say, I no longer call you servants. What did He say? I call you friends. Because friends know. Father, what the master of the house is doing. This is the transition that God wants us all to go through. First, to have a mighty revelation that God has selected you for this moment. That He saved you for this moment. And that if you find yourself in a time where you just feel like, man, I'm just pouring water. I'm just greeting people. I'm just ushering. I'm just serving in youth. I'm I'm just serving in children's ministry. I just come and help out in the food pantry. What am I doing? You're in the house pouring water on what God is doing. And God is positioning you for an encounter with his spirit where he mantles you to walk like Jesus did. You see, in John 14, 12, I love this. This is, this is where it's all going to come together and it's all going to make sense to you. Jesus said, verily, he says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing and they will do even greater things because I'm going to the Father. What is he saying? When I go up, The Spirit's coming down, my mantle's coming down, and you will be able to walk just like me and do even greater works. It's the mantle of Jesus the church needs to be fathers in this season where sons need Him desperately. It's the mantle of the Holy Spirit that God sent down over 2,000 years ago that we once again must pick up. Which has been given already. All we have to do is just like Elisha had said, he just went and picked it up. And where are the fathers of our day who will take the mantle that was resting on Jesus and say, Where is the Father? And take that mantle and release that power again into a world that's so desperately needing it. What do we need? You need to absolutely embrace the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You want to transition from just servant to son? Get the same Spirit that rested on Jesus in you. What changed for Elisha is when the Spirit of Elijah came on him. What will change for you is when when it will all change for you is when the Holy Spirit fills you then we'll begin. Say, man, it's not me, but God's Spirit in me. Is there something in you that when you read the Gospels, you go, oh, I want to do that. That's the same thing that was stirring in Elisha as he was pouring water on the hands of Elijah. I believe God is awakening a hunger in the church to actually live and and walk out the, the, the deeds, the good works of the he's going to begin to release us in power again as we participate in the greatest awakening this world has ever seen. This podcast raising up a voice. I believe God is going to use each one of us to raise up the next generation to follow heart after Christ. Our prayer for you is that you accept God's invitation to live this supernatural lifestyle of imparting the grace and the power of God to the next generation. Please. If this message has had an impact on you, take time to connect with us and share what God is doing in your life through this ministry. You can connect with us through our website, InvernessCalvary.com, or by following us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks again for listening to this message, and God bless.